amazing. Absolutely amazing. Telling Joe Beth about what we talked about, that is incredibly exciting. It really is. Can't wait for that. So, uh, Brother Chad is chaplain at Millington, I guess still Millington Naval Base. That's what they call it. You know, it used to be a long, long time ago, but used to be pretty pretty big up there. A lot of training went there now, but uh, uh, back then. And, but uh, but they still got at least some people there, and Brother Chad's chaplain there. We're going to uh, planning a, a couples conference or marriage retreat or something there, uh, marriage conference there at the base in February. You thinking? You just tell us when. That, that we'll be very excited about that. That'd be fantastic. All right, we're, we're in the book of Genesis talking about events in the book of Genesis. And, and again, uh, Glad we got a few more that finally showed up, and hopefully some of our folks will wake up and get here. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but I think what it is is just those cool evenings. Everybody left their heat off uh, last night trying to save that energy, and and uh, if you know, I the only reason I turned mine on is because of my dad, because I didn't want to walk up there and find him in a block of ice up there. <laughs> so. Genesis chapter uh, 15, verse 1. Let me, let me get to it in my Bible here. I got it on my notes, but uh, we're going to talk about a, a very unique event in the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to read through quite a few scriptures like we've done before, but it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy great, exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, That this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the, of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these pieces, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of the Egypt 
uh, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. And we're just going to we'll stop it right there. Um, the, um, this, this passage, this event, is, is kind of one of the really unique events. You know, talking about the flood or talking about Tower of Babel, you know, those, those things uh, are, you know, pretty, pretty common and they're pretty, uh, you know, pretty much talked about. Uh, although I think we, you know, we brought some things out in there that maybe are not normal. But, but uh, in this one, what we're going to look at is, is something that's not dealt with a lot, not seen as a great event. But, but truthfully, this is kind of where, uh, this is where the covenant of Abraham is, is renewed, where God's just coming back to Abraham and saying, what I said, we're going to continue. We're, we're not done yet. We're gonna, this is where we're going. We're going to keep this covenant, this agreement that we've made together. And so uh, that's what's, ha- what's happening here. Now, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, it says. That's where, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? And so uh, Abraham's going and saying, Lord, you've made this promise to me, but I'm still childless. And so he's looking at him and saying, what, what, what's supposed to happen? And, and, and of course, Abraham comes along and then in verse 2, and he said, Abraham said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So Abraham had a wonderful relationship with God and spoke to God even to suggest remedies to God. This is kind of amazing. He's so close to God, he's going he's gonna to figure out what needs to be done for God. Uh, you know, God has made him a promise that his seed is, is going to uh, spread throughout the world and he's, gonna, he's just going to be blessed. And, and, but, but now it's not happened. He doesn't have a child. So Abraham is helping God. He's coming up and he's saying, Lord, here's, here's the solution. Uh, he came, he came to the, with a remedy. You see, Abraham had been promised that his seed would be great, but he had no children. And by the culture, a child born in his home could become the heir. And so uh, this, this servant that was born in his home now would become the heir of the home if Abraham was childless. So, so Abraham's saying, I'm childless, and this is my heir. This, this servant is my heir. And, and, uh, and so and it's always funny to me the things that we will do sometime. We'll make the point here in a minute. But, but Abraham's telling God, about the culture, like God didn't know about it, you know, uh, like God didn't know that this is the, the procedure that they would go through, and so, but Abraham relays this to God, and by the culture, child born in his home would, could become his heir, uh, and then honestly, Abraham, I, I believe at this point, is having you kind of a mild pity party, because if you look at it in 22 words, just 22 words, Abraham refers to himself seven times. And twice he reminds God that he's childless. And again, I think maybe God already knew he was childless. Amen? It's kind of like, you know, when we keep relaying to each other the things that, that, you know, the poor me things, and we tell somebody over and over again, and we think, okay, time out, I know that already. But that's what he's doing. He's doing to God. He's saying, God, uh, let me tell you one more time. I'm childless. 
And, and God, woe is me. Seven times he refers to himself in some way. Uh, uh, just it's, it's, it's all about Abraham right now. Now, Abraham's a great man of faith, and I'm not condemning none of us. Uh, I would never be anywhere close to being Abraham. But it's just, it's just a, a little part of the story here that Abraham, it seems to be, a little bit discouraged now because what God said would happen has not happened the way Abraham thought it would happen. So Abraham's looking for a solution. Now, this is going to hurt him later uh, because Abraham keeps this mindset of looking for a solution. Uh, and they're going to end up you know, with Hagar and they're going to end up with a, with a child that, that never, well, truthfully, it never should have been. Uh, that, that's not what God had planned. And so just, to, just the principle here out of this little event, we're not really to the event yet, but the principle is, is that you know, when God doesn't do what we want in the time that we want, in the way that we want, we need to be careful not to force the issue, not to push, I always call it push the door open. If God's got the door shut or shut so much that you're not going through it, um, the Chad may understand, I, I had a situation like this up at, Great Lakes Naval Base, where I uh, I was visiting there. We had we were we were running just droves of guys there. There first year and a half I was in the ministry, and then all of a sudden one day I went up there and they just hauled us all off base and and uh, presented me and told me that that there was a bar letter against the the ministry. Well, I didn't even know what a, what a bar letter was. I you know what in the world does that mean? But it was a letter that was barring our entire ministry, our entire church from being on their base. And I didn't know how or why, and it had occurred over two years earlier. And of course, we had been going onto the base all this time uh, underneath this letter, but didn't know it. And so they, they came to me and said, this, you know, this doc showed me this documentation where the previous leader had signed an agreement of a way in which to visit the base. And that agreement was made it absolutely impossible to truly visit the base and be productive. Um, and I think when he signed it, they knew that we were, they weren't going to adhere to it. Uh, I don't think you, could, you couldn't run the ministry under the stipulations that were in this agreement. And so, uh, but he had signed it. So when I found that, when it was presented to me, I had to realize that God, had, he hadn't shut the door on our ministry, but the door had been almost closed. Now, I had a choice. I could just say, you know what, I'm going to just wait a couple weeks and we're going back onto this base and we're going to push the door open and we're going to go in, but I didn't. I felt like if I did that, I was forcing a door open that got it almost shut. And so I knew it wasn't shut. It was still cracked. And I would tell the fellas, I said, the door's cracked open, but I'm not going to throw my shoulder into it and knock it open. God's got a, it's a great door and effectual open unto me. And there are many adversaries. So I said, right now, if that great door is going to be open wide to us, then God's got to do it. And so I took them in and told them, we're not going to go onto the base until this, is, this agreement is resolved, until I make my own agreement. So the truth was, it ended up being eight months. Eight months that we would go to the base and visit outside the base. Eight months that I would not allow anybody to go onto the base. Eight months where we would maybe get five sailors instead of 85 sailors. Uh, uh, you know, a big day I, I would be 10 or 12 guys instead of a big day being 112 guys. 
And so uh, it, it was a very, very hard thing, especially when people who did not understand what I was doing kept looking and they, they, they really evaluate you only by your production. And so I, I, uh, I, that was a very, very hard eight months. But eventually, at the end of that eight months, I got a meeting with the, with the admiral, with the, the, all the senior officers, legal officers, chaplain, everybody. A big meeting was five of them in there, all the five top men in the, in the whole thing. And I brought in uh, a man from Senator Luger and Senator Quayle's office back then. And I brought in uh, a man from CLA with me. And I walked in. And, and uh, truthfully, those two fellows never said a word. All five of those guys said a whole lot of words to me, and it ended up with agreement, was a verbal agreement, and this was the agreement. I was in there, and they, they were telling me, you can't come on this base, and you're illegal to be here on this base, and, and you're soliciting on this base, and, and all those kind of things. And, and, uh, and I said to them, finally, when they gave me a chance, I said, you know, the, my understanding of solicitation is goods and services in exchange for money rendered, and and uh, we're not asking for any money. And they said solicitations, whatever we determine it is on a base. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, okay. And, um, but God kind of blessed. Right outside the window was, was a big 35-foot tall balloon of Spuds McKenzie. Anybody remember Spuds McKenzie? You're too young, aren't you? Spuds McKenzie was a dog that represented, I think it was Bud, Budweiser beer. And so they had, they were advertising Budweiser beer with this great big balloon on the base. And I got up and I walked to the window with all of them there. And I said, sir, right down there are tables where, where men underage are given free beer as they walk by the table. I said, right down there, the law has been violated because we're giving, we're encouraging them to drink. I said, that big balloon right there is a, is a massive advertisement, solicitation for the, these men to do something wrong. And I'm trying to get to, just to get them to do something right. And the admiral got up and he, and he said, this meeting's over. And I said, yes, sir, it is. And Saturday, I will be back here on this base. And I came back Saturday, and for the next, I don't know how many years, they never tried to stop me. Now, the fact is, is that I, I had a door that had been almost closed, and I could have pushed it open and probably gone to jail. But I didn't. When I waited and waited and waited and waited with everybody, everybody really telling me I was crazy and I was wrong and I need to just go for it. Uh, I waited eight months, and in eight months, God threw the door open. And from that point on, hundreds and even thousands of people uh, were reached for Christ as it, as it went on. Man is not really changed. When we talk to God, uh, we tend to talk about ourselves, our needs, our problems, just like Abraham did. We remind God of our lack and of our suffering, when in reality, he knows everything all, all along. So what Abraham's doing is pretty normal for us. We'll tell God, God, don't you know what I'm going through? God, can't you see what I'm going through? God, uh, man, this is happening, that's happening. The Lord's saying, I know all of that. I know every bit of it. So um, just another illustration that deals with that little point there is Abraham's pouring out his soul to God. I, he, uh, I think the first point is that we don't force the door open. The second point is, is that we will, it, whether it's right or wrong, we will pour out our soul to God, and we'll remind him of things that he already knows about. I'm not sure it's really, really wrong is what Abraham does. 
But um, I was once tra- counseling with my preacher about traveling by faith during the summers, and it would be the first summer to do this. And he asked me how many meetings I thought I could get. And I said, uh, I, I told him, I said, I never asked for meetings. And I remember him looking at me going, well, I never do either. So uh, he said, that's, that's the way I like it. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's because you got like a thousand invitations. Why would you ask for a meeting? And uh, he said, how many meetings do you have? Uh, to go travel this summer, you know, and it was our very first summer to travel as a family, and, and I said, I got two, and this is mid-April, and, uh, and he said, how many, do you, you know, and he said, uh, well, come back to me in the end of May, and, I, I, and we'll see how you're doing, and so end of May, when I came back to him at the end of May, I had an entire summer had been totally full with, filled with meetings, and uh, we had never asked for, for a meeting. The meeting, uh, and my point with that statement is this, is that I think, truthfully, we just need to go to God and say, God, I want your will, rather than God, look at all this problem. God, don't you see my issue? God, don't you, won't you provide for me? God, won't you do this? God already wants to provide and meet our needs. He just wants us to come to Him and trust Him. And so, in verse 4, God makes a, a clear statement to Abraham, if you look back at verse 4, that the servant would not be his heir but the heir would be of his own seed. So Abraham says, you know, let it be born. You know, there's a servant already born in my, my home. He's going to be the heir. And, and, and God says, just real directly, no, he's not. That's not going to be your heir. And so finally the Lord says in verse 7, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of, of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. He reminds Abraham of the covenant, the promise. Sadly, now here's the next little thing that I get out of this. Sadly, Abraham was the first man to reject a verbal contract and ask for something more concrete. We just signed on our house Friday. Amen? Finally got our house. Praise the Lord. And you know what? My hand, literally, this part right here began to cramp. I had to sign so many papers. So many papers. It was insane. So many papers. And the, and the lawyer even, you know, as I'm sitting there signing these things, he joked about the fact, he said, you know, you just have all these papers because people are just dishonest today. And all these things represent ways in which somebody cheated somebody and now they had to make another rule about it. And I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. But the truth is, here's where it began. It really began back with Abraham because God had made Abraham a verbal contract. God had made Abraham a verbal promise. And and here's what happens though. Abraham rejects the verbal promise. Look at verse 8. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Wait a minute. God said you would. Hello? That should be, amen? That should be enough. God said you would. You know, it'd be wonderful, regardless of the way the world is, and I know if we're going to deal with the world, we're going to have to get signed contracts, but between us and between Christians, it ought to be as much as lives in us and much as in us is to, to keep our word to each other, to do what we say we're going to do. And if we don't do it, apologize and make up for it. I'm telling you, make a difference in your family if you just do what you say you're going to do for them. And, and, and I'm not saying that we don't forget sometimes or we don't mess up, but, it, but it's very important that we have what's called integrity, that we keep our word. 
But here's where Abraham just saying, God, uh, and it's, it's, it's a tough statement because he's a man of faith, but he's saying to God, God, it's not enough, your word. I need you to show me. I need you to do something. Now, it should have been enough that God said it would happen, but Abraham needed more just as often we look for something more. We look for a sign. We look for something. God, I know you said this, but boy, you know, I, I made this mistake last night. I was walking and praying, and, and, and just out of my mouth, it just burned out. It said, said, Lord, could you just give us some hope that, that, there's, that there's hope for this nation? Could you just give me something to show me that there's some hope for this nation? And God just, it was like he slapped me in the face and said, I am your hope. He said, I've already given you myself. I am your hope. So, but God being patient with our stupidity, watch this, verses 9 through 11, he prepares a contract for Abraham. Look at this, he says, and he said unto him, okay, you need a contract, you need it written out, take me a heifer of three years old, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've got I've to do some more study on this to try to figure out why this is basically the first sacrifice why is it a three-year-old heifer? If you look in the scripture, you know, the Levitical priesthood and everything, it's never a three-year-old. There's something to that. There's some reason God said three-year-old. So anybody's got an answer there, go ahead and give it to me. I won't believe it anyway. All right, no, no. No, I, uh, no I'd love to hear it afterwards. I'd love to find out what you, what you think. But he says, a, a, uh, a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds he divided not. So he took these offerings and, and he took each one of these three or the three-year-old heifer, the three-year-old goat, the three-year-old lamb, and uh, the turtle dove and the young pigeon. Now, the, the, all the large animals, he divided them in two. He just cut them in half, divided them in two. Now, the, the turtle dove and the pigeon, he didn't divide. I think probably put one on either side. But now, I'm not sure what I'm doing there. Um, and he took unto him all these and divided them in, in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham or Abram drove them away. Now we'll move into... This, this whole written contract that he's making. Genesis 15, 12 says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now, Abraham's going to come in and watch the signing of the contract. See, this if you've ever had to go into a major business dealing where it's a lots and lots of money, this is very descriptive. It's a great horror. A, a darkness fell upon him. It's been sometimes where you think, man, am I supposed to do this? No, the truth is, is that I, I'm not sure, but I think God was revealing to Abraham that sometimes, watch this, I, this is what I believe the Lord's trying to teach Abraham, honestly, here. He says that this whole thing, God's going to show him this contract, sort of write out the contract for him. He, but this deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. I think it might be that God was revealing to Abraham that sometimes too much knowledge can bring fear. 
by that I mean God saying, okay, Abraham, I'm going to show you some things that maybe you're not ready for. I'm going to show you some things that probably you really didn't need to see. You know, we, every one of us would love to know that if everything's going to turn out, maybe turn for the good in our nation. We would love to know that. But if we were allowed to know six months from now and our nation was spiraling down into destruction, I don't know that I want to know that right now. I don't, want to, I don't think I want to see that right now. The truth is, I, I'm not sure if I could have known four years ago where we'd be today that I'd want to, want to have known the last four years and the torment of knowing this is going to happen. There are times when it's, it's best not to know and just obey because it's what God said. Demanding to know the hows and whys may create more heartache than we can imagine. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 18 says, For in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Sometimes it's just better not to know. God lets Abraham know of the future of his seed. He will produce and in his mind his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren would suffer. What he's going to reveal, God reveals to him that his children, and, and I'm saying in Abraham's mind, now this is going to be further down the road than this, but I think when God's speaking to him, Abraham has to immediately start to think about his children, his grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, because God says, the, your people, you're going to have this seed, and they're going to go into captivity. <coughs> Excuse me. They're going to go into ta- captivity for 400 years, four generations. Now, that's kind of amazing. You look at four generations, and he says 400 years and four generations. Our minds, we don't think of a generation being 100 years. But at the time that Abraham, this has taken place, Abraham is basically 100 years old when the child is, so the new generation it's pretty much a hundred-year generation at this time, and so, um, so he says four generations. We would think a generation would be you know like thirty-five, maybe seventy years at the at the very most. But Abraham, it would be a hundred, and so uh, that's kind of unique. But finally, to prove Abraham that he would keep his word, God proceeds to walk through the slip, split pieces of sacrifice. You see. I'm not sure exactly even what that meant, but when it says in verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. You know, I don't think there was just, just a floating lamp and a smoking furnace. I mean, God passed through, and this is a representation. I think the smoking furnace, the smoke symbol often symbolizes prayer going up to God, but here is, I believe it's a, uh, it's the perfect word of God, the inscrutable words of integrity and truth of God. As God says, this is what I've promised. That's the smoke that's lifting up. The, the flame that's lifting up is the power of God. God says, I've given you my word and I'm able to perform it. Now, last thing, and we'll be done, the, the, 
great truth that I see in this, in the, in the very last thing is this. You see this promise, this written contract God gives to Abraham, so to speak. But you'll notice only God signs it. Abraham doesn't. Only God went through the midst of the pieces. This is a unique kind of contract. This is God saying, I make this promise to you, and it is not depending on anything that you do. That's a pretty amazing contract. That's why God's people are still God's people, because God made a promise to the people whether they, however they respond or not. Most contract is, I'll do this if you do this. But that's not what happens here. God says, I will. And it doesn't hinge on anything. And that's why we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we ought to be a nation that supports Israel. Because this is a contract made by God, and God cannot lie, and God cannot break the contract. And you say, well, what if man doesn't hold up? Abraham didn't sign it. God did. Only God. So, all right, we got about 15 minutes before our next uh, service, and thank you all for being here. Y'all make sure and greet Brother Chad. And Mrs. Asbury, God bless you. And your mom's name, I'm sorry, Lolly. Lolly, Mrs. Lolly. All right. All right. Play me some music. Just not any music.